Welcome to Episode 7 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hello, everybody. Before we get to today's interview, I just want to take a moment and say that if you're interested in childhood hearing loss, or if you're a parent of a child with hearing loss, I encourage you to get involved with the Alexander Graham Bell Association for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, or as most of us refer to it as A.G. Bell. The A.G. Bell Association supports listening and spoken language outcomes for children with hearing loss and continues to be an incredible resource for both parents and professionals. So please, please visit the website at agbell.org and get involved and support this wonderful organization with your time and your resources. And now, on to today's interview. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Gayla Hutzel-Guignard. Gayla has served as the A.G. Bell Association's Chief Strategy Officer since September of 2015. Gayla has worked as a direct service provider, clinical audiology and speech-language pathology supervisor, state early hearing detection and intervention coordinator, and as the inaugural director of Indiana Center for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Education. She has served in numerous leadership roles on national committees and work groups. Gayla's current work is focused on bringing knowledge forward about listening and spoken language and related areas for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. She's deeply interested in systems that serve families and individuals and seeks to be involved in systems change in a way to realize potential and to improve outcomes for all individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing. It is my pleasure to welcome Gayla, my friend and colleague, to the show. So Gayla, welcome to this podcast. Please tell us a little bit about how you got interested in listening in spoken language and working in this area. So when I think back to the times in my life where I had decision points uh, and I became interested in listening and spoken language, I can go back to the 80s and and first really recall recognizing that I just enjoyed people immensely Mm -hmm. and that I knew I would need to go into a field where I would be working with people and preferably helping people. I've always been the kind of person, <laughs> people who don't know me, they will come up and, and sit with me, you know, by a park bench or um, tell me their problems, you know, at the grocery store or in line uh, at Target. So I've, I've, always, I've always loved people. Um, I've loved helping people, but I've also loved solving problems together. And so I, mm-hmm. I traveled from um, my 
my early bachelor's degree decision, you know, from social work to psychology to speech language pathology and audiology, thinking that I would become an audiologist, in fact, became an audiologist. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. I decided to become an audiologist because I, I did put myself through college at Purdue and I really understood the value of a dollar. And I said, gosh, um, audiologists, if they want to, have the potential to go live in Florida and go into private <laughs> practice and you know make a lot of money. And what's so funny right. about that is as I got into graduate school, I found myself really interested in hearing you know, the sense Mm -hmm. of hearing and how dynamic it is and helping people hear better. But I was particularly intrigued by children Mm -hmm. and that a child, though deaf, could be helped to hear and taught to listen. It was mind blowing Mm -hmm. to me. And I understood very early in graduate school because I I had um, you know, great people at the University of Tennessee who helped me understand this, that it was really all happening in the brain. And how malleable a a child is. And um, I always had enjoyed children. So it's just funny. I thought I would go into one area of audiology instead um, as I was leaving graduate school um, with my first master's in audiology. I I knew that I was particularly interested in in teaching children who are deaf or hard of hearing to to hear and talk. Well, it's it's interesting. It's when when I went to grad school, it was interesting that I was the only male in my uh, program at University of South Carolina out of 40. Uh, so I was 39 women and me. But all, all the other guys that started with me went into audiology. So was it uh, when you were there at Tennessee, because you, you did your graduate work at Tennessee, uh, was there uh, any pressure to go one way or the other that the girls go this way and the guys go this way? Or was it just open? So, so actually, it goes back, that goes back to my time at Purdue. And so it really was ex- so that sort of that there was that, yeah, that the mm-hmm. guys would end up in audiology and the girls would end up in speech language pathology. And so much that it was just assumed that mm-hmm. the entire class was going into speech language pathology unless you raised your hand and said, no, I'm going to go into audiology, which is exactly what happened. And I'll never forget that I, I spoke with Carl Benny, mm-hmm. well known in the field, David Goldstein, mm-hmm. and Gene Bogus, uh, all of whom were the audiology professors at Purdue um, before I made the decision. And they were just thrilled. Um, I'm not sure it was about me because it wasn't like I had straight A's at that point, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I was outgoing, that's for sure. And I had mm-hmm. been very, I've been asking a lot of questions in class. I know that surprises you. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, and they were, were tickled. Uh, they were always tickled, I think, to get students interested, you know, in, in diverting away from speech language pathology and going into audiology. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember the guys, when I started grad school, I went my direction, went against the grain, I guess, a little bit going into speech pathology. But uh, there were, uh, I think in audiology, there were four guys and one female who started when I started and all four of the guys fell out. They didn't make it through. And so they ended up with a class of one female for that cohort oh, at no. that point in time. So she, she basically had to do all this, all the course. She did all the coursework. She's out there a great audiologist now, but uh, she ended up um, 
you know, in a sense, be like a, like an independent study for all of her courses because she was the only one. So yeah. <laughs> she had no one to study with. It was just her. Yeah. So uh, all the guys fell out. So they, they didn't make it through. But um, so you went, you, you grew up in Indiana, went to Purdue for your undergrad, and then decided to go to Knoxville, University of Tennessee for your graduate work. And you go into audiology first, right? Right, right. And so when did you become duly certified? So I, I, I did wrestle a bit about the speech mm-hmm. language pathology piece. And, and as a matter of fact, I think across my life, I've, I've always, not always, but once I became interested in audiology and speech language pathology, I, at that same time, you know, I was clear that while that would be the direction my career path would go, I continued to be really interested in social work types of, of activities, counseling. Um, I also was interested in law. And so, um, yeah, so, so it, it, it is. And I, I, because I was just like, that was very thorough. I interviewed different people who in these career fields. Uh, and, and I have to tell you this funny story because I think it's, it's great. Um, when I finally decided for sure it was the right fit for me to go into audiology is I was working at a, um, a country inn in Colorado, Lake City, Colorado, the summer after I graduated from Purdue. I'd read about this country inn in a book called Walk Across America by Peter Jenkins. Um, he and his wife, who he picked up along the way, had stopped in Lake City and wrote the book uh, Walk Across America, and then they continued their walk west. Well, at any, way, at any rate, I'd read about this place. I said, that sounds so cool at 9,500 feet in, um, uh, in Colorado. Uh, I am going to, um, I'm going to go there for the summer. And so, did I say 9,500 feet? I think you did, yes. The altitude of 9,500 yeah. Anyway, yeah. so very high in the mountains. Right. I, um, I met some attorneys, a family of attorneys that summer at the country inn where I work. And I mm-hmm. met a family of audiologists that summer. Hmm. And I, which I thought was just amazing. They were each there a week. Um, they were part of a wedding party. And I, I just, at, as I was down by the pool or doing this or that, you know, I would put these questions in and, when, when one of the attorneys said, the audiologists in our family, they have so much more fun and they're doing great. You ought to go do that. <laughs> I thought that was, that was kind of, kind of funny, but um, I knew, I, I knew that I, I, I wanted, I really wanted to help people and I felt like it was a really clear path to do that. So, yeah. So that's so, how that. So meeting that family turned you in, into that direction. It, it really did. And I had a chance just two or three years ago at, at the American Academy of Audiology meeting to see one of those family members. And I told him about it and he was so touched. Oh, but that's great. I just had no idea. And I said, it's, what have you done in your career? So I told him what I had done in my career and he was, he was uh, pretty excited, I think. To, to, and I said, you know, you never know how you're going to affect people along the way. Um, that's very true. Yeah. So I was just talking to someone the other day who was who did one guest lecture and 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 she's trying to do more at this university to really get them interested, get graduate students interested in hearing loss in children and listening and spoken language. And I said, you know, 
I've heard stories throughout my career that there was that one person who came in and guest lectured that turned someone in that direction. I said, you just never know, even with that one guest lecture, what impact you might have had. Yes, I would love to see you do, you know, that the university does more in this area, but you might get some people that will call you up and want to come observe and and interact with you. And and those students might want to, you know, eventually, you know, go in this direction. You never know. And, and she uh, sent an email back a few days later saying, yeah, I have three students who are now coming to observe what I'm doing. So it's just, it's that thing. We always, uh, you know, you never know exactly how, how you're impacting someone. Um, and, and Todd, that goes back to the power of one, right? Something mm-hmm. you believe in solidly, and as do I, um, because of our experience of having been sort of that unusual bird in terms of you know, <laughs> living someplace where you were the one person who who actually you know had had some training in listening and spoken language. You were one of two people who mm-hmm. had some training, and you you really understood, and and, and as did the parents of the children who were on your case, so they came to understand that, you know, you had these unique skills. And and, I, and we see it all the time, the, the power of one to help a family understand what it takes to learn to listen and talk. The power of one in a parent who, you know, really is the wind beneath their child's wings. Um, the power of one in the child who was deaf or hard of hearing that, you know, you can be who you want to be. Um, and that we all have things in life that we overcome and that we embrace um, that help us become more of who we are. So um, I think I, I have to say, you know, all these years later, being in this field and eventually becoming certified uh, as a listening and spoken language specialist, as maybe T, I, I look back and I don't have any regrets about having gone into this field. And I, um, when I was practicing directly, I, there was never a day I was bored at work. I mean, who who can say that? I was never bored at work, and I'm and I'm and I'm still not bored, um, in working at AG Bell. So I, I I think that's really something. So I'm still happy and excited to come to work, and excited to to help figure out what we need to do next to make the world a better place for the people who live here. So. And and that's a that's an awesome mission. And obviously, at AG Bell, it's you know an incredible mission nationally and internationally how do we get this concept this idea of listening and spoken language into the minds of more and more parents more and more professionals and putting the uh, infrastructure in place wherever you live in the world so that these kids can be successful Absolutely. It's, a big, it's a big task <laughs> it is a big task and i tell you that the most recent this this, this um, experience we're all sharing related to um, COVID-19, uh, you know, it's reframing things. And I, I know one of the first things that we did at AG Bell is create a learning at home mm-hmm. resource page, so just knowing that people were gonna be at home, whether it's the professional learning at home and learning how to, to do teletherapy or teleeducation, telepractice, whether it's the, the parent at home who is overwhelmed because they're trying to work um, and uh, take care of their family all at the same time in the same space. Um, we really felt like we needed to put those resources out there. And so again, as challenging as this time is, it's also an exciting time because we can innovate and really get those creative juices flowing towards what do we, you know, what do we do now? How can we again make the most of of what we've been handed? And um, 
it's good. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know we know we're going to have one. And we know that we are in the um, that sort of the cat seat. You know, we can we can we have the power to shape the future. We being, you know, each of us as individuals and certainly collectively, we can do uh, I certainly agree. And I, it's it's very interesting this this time that we're in. And I I do think um, aside from some of the st- statistics I'm seeing that, you know, there's going to be a, a huge number of pregnancies in nine months, or I guess uh, babies being born over the next nine to 10 months uh, uh, because of all of this. Aside from that, you know, it, it is very interesting in terms of if you're given sort of a, this closed set of just, this is what your life has to be for right now. And and you have to sort of adhere to this or you put your life at risk. And so then you have to figure out a new way. And so it, it does, in a, in a very direct way, it, it gets those creative juices going is how do we navigate this and still be successful? How do we navigate this? And like with AG Bell, still fulfill our mission as an, as an organization. And how can we be the go-to place or the organization for these families who, who need support to the professionals who need support and information uh, or training. And so, you know, I admire that. And it's, um, it's going to be interesting as we go forward to see, how we how far we come back to way it, the way it was i'm i'm sort of under the mindset that we're not going to go all the way back i think this is going to be one of those seminal moments in our lives like 911 and some of these other big events you know the someone was saying the other the other day about you know the tragedy of 911 with you know those attacks and the thousands you know of people who died on that one day but then we started to get over it pretty quickly. And of course, we ended up going to war and we could say, you know, we still haven't really resolved those things. But the event itself was over within a day. And then it's sort of trying to deal with the aftermath. This is not over in a day. This is ongoing. And so I think it's going to have, you know, fundamental changes to how we interact going forward. And I don't think it's going to just be back to normal. We're going to have a new normal um, once we have a vaccine or once we say, okay, COVID is behind us. We've defeated this virus. It's no longer going to affect people. Um, But it's going to change because, you know, within a a year we could have another virus. We could have another pandemic um, because of other issues going on around the world. So, um, I think the idea of the, you know, telepractice and telehealth and a lot of those things, I think, are going to stay with us because I think we're seeing the consumers seeing the advantages of doing it. And even the professionals out there do, uh, delivering these services see the advantages of doing it. And so I think we're going to see that hopefully, in my, from my point of view, hopefully it will still be an option for families to get needed services in, uh, to them where they may not, you know, and they live in communities where they may not have someone who's well-trained. And in our cases, you know, uh, listening and spoken language specialists right down the street uh, that they would still have this as an option um, telepractice uh, to be able to get services they need. So I think 
all of this is changing how we go forward. You know, we, we owe such a great debt to rural America in our country. Um, when you go back and you just look at the way the United States was formed and how we lived for so many years, and, and still you know, we talk about the breadbasket of America, but I think sometimes we we forget that we need to we do need to pay that back, which means that for those people who live in rural America, which are a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. they need to be able to have access to those rural health services that the government, frankly, has put money into. I mean, you have a department mm-hmm. of rural health in, in many states, uh, state departments of health. But, you know, what are we doing to make sure that the service that you get here in Greencastle, Indiana, is the same service that you could get, you know, an hour down the road in Indianapolis. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the same surgery necessarily, but these ongoing habilitative and rehabilitative services really can be done um, mm-hmm. through telepractice and, and we got to keep it going. I think we also have to recognize that relationships are important. Mm-hmm. We certainly um, can have relationships, um, you know, virtually. We found that that's one way you and I as colleagues have remained in touch. We can do that virtually. Sure. We also know people need face-to-face time. I think there'll be some combination and, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Um, but I, I know one thing we have changed because of this experience. We have changed. I don't think we know yet all the ways that we have changed, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come to an awareness, particularly when this is in our rearview mirror and, I, I hope that there are a few things that remain. One, very much telepractice, um, access to services, that the access to services that we've been able to improve upon will be able to innovate more and improve upon them more and, and see that, that children do get that quality of service um, regardless of where they live because of telepractice. And then an, another is the togetherness that families and perhaps friends have experienced that, uh, and the confidence that I hope parents and caregivers have, have gained about, about the fact that their children do need them, that they are their children's first and best teachers and uh, the child's first and best teacher, and that they can do uh, and give to their child what it is that their child needs most, which of course first is love. Um, and then getting those basic needs met. But, you know, there's a whole lot we can do just through our daily communication and interaction interaction with our children. So, yeah. I agree 100%. So I wanted to jump back for a moment. And I was thinking when we set up this interview, the first time that you and I met, and I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you, you came to a conference in Columbia, is that correct, in South Carolina? Is that when we first met? I think it was where we first met. I think it was um, the, a NECI conference in South Carolina. In That's Columbia. right, the, the NECI training. Right. The right. cochlear implant training. And I remember talking to you about the PhD program at South Carolina. Yes, yes. And, uh, and we, we chatted about that. But you, you'd come down for that. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my memory's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> well, we saw each other another time somewhere, and I don't remember where it was, but I do remember when we, you know what? I know, I think the first place we ever met 
could have been uh, at the AG Bell conference in Little Rock. Because I, I, that was, I think, the first place that we met one another because we ended up being in the same sessions and it was like the third mm-hmm. session. And I said to you, you know, we really ought to meet because we keep ending up <laughs> in the same sessions. We must like the same things and we both mm-hmm. sort of, It seems to me that that might have been when we first met. And then again, I remember calling you about this and that um, mm-hmm. and then seeing you in South Carolina. I think that's how it transpired, but you know, I have to go back and check the calendar that I, I don't have. Uh, anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's what Little Rock was in 98 or something like that. Little Rock was in 1998. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, yeah, okay. Woo, it's a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> so I do remember the conversation of you, of you being there and the conversation about PhD program and, and really trying to hook you in to, to come to, you know, probably have uh, ulterior motives of, of because uh, I think we were looking to fill uh, a position there uh, on faculty. Yeah. And, I was sort of dangling the PhD program out there as another incentive <laughs> to try to get you to come there. Um, but probably good that you didn't for other reasons. Cause then, you know, as you know, we ended up leaving, but we ended up being together at AG Bell uh, in the early two thousands. Um, and through when I left in 2007 um, and you stayed on another what, two years or so yeah, or a year, two I years. Stayed on another no, I stayed on another nine months or so. Nine months. Yeah. And you, you went back to Indiana and you did wonderful things in, in your home state uh, that really put them on a path where, you know, they're continuing to do some really great things. Yeah. And as did you prior to coming to AG Bell in both South and North Carolina. So, uh, wow. you know, so look how inspiring you were. <laughs> Well, thank you. I don't know about that, but it was more out of desperation than anything else. <laughs> Being at the time in South Carolina, especially when there was just so little. Oh, Todd, you've always, been, you've always been really good about speaking up. And I think that oftentimes people don't realize that that's, that sometimes is what you need to do. You need to be that one person who speaks up. And stands up, speaks up, says something, does something. That's always been you. Wow. So. I appreciate that. I, um, it was it was a challenge at the time, um, but we had some good people working together to make some changes. But you did some great stuff in Indiana, and it really put some put them in that direction of being able to provide services to to families with with what regardless of communication option that they chose for their child. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And then after that, you come back to AG Bell. So. Um, but I want to make sure that people understand what you were able to do in your home oh, state. Well, thank, thanks, Todd. I, first of all, I love going back uh, and being there. I've worked with so many wonderful professionals and also parents um, when I was, was uh, in Indiana, my home state. So I, I wanted to be involved in systems change. And so there happened to be an opening. And I felt, and I felt like the government is where you had to go. I, I surmised from my experiences uh, in my career that the government was the next place I needed to go to. So I, mm-hmm. I took a job as the eddy coordinator because it was open in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and really enjoyed it you know, almost right from the beginning and came to understand how the Department of Health worked and then other areas in state government. And, and then we saw our eddy numbers really shift in terms of our loss to follow up. When I arrived, um, they had just pulled the numbers not long before I arrived. And uh, the loss to follow up was um, for babies born in 2006 was 54%. In our state. Wow. So right along with the loss to follow up, uh, the national average for the loss to follow up um, that, that the CDC had um, published that year. And it was like, wow, we really got to figure this out. We can't, we can't lose over half of our babies. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big impetus for really being motivated um, to do things in that job. And that was to make sure we didn't lose babies. And so by the time I left the eddy coordinator role we had the the year that i left and we looked at that data retrospectively so the year the 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 year before we had had a nine percent loss to follow up in the state of indiana which was huge i mean we were just so excited and Mm -hmm. certainly that wasn't me Um, that was a team of of people um, who i just uh, to this day remain colleagues and friends with and they just had a passion to to really move those numbers down fully understanding that that those numbers represented real people with real lives and real situations and that we needed to to really do make some changes in our state to make sure that children who were deaf or hard of hearing could be found found early and then put on a path um, to developing um, their their language and communication skills, you know, at a level that was commensurate with their peers, hopefully almost on the same developmental timeline. That's the real benefit to Eddie, that we screen early, identify the child who is deaf or hard of hearing early, and get them into intervention early, um, mm-hmm. so that those those benefits of being found can be realized. Um, but one of the things that I really saw in Indiana is that there was a gap. Um, there was a gap in between Eddie and then school. That's a mm-hmm. really long gap, you know. So yes. you're not certified. If you get lucky, you might get to a provider who is a good match with the communication um, choice that you or your family or choices that you or your family um, are going to be pursuing. But you know, we just didn't really know what was happening with those children, and we had too many children who, although identified early, really weren't getting what they needed. It's so I became part of a, a task force per se um, that looked at, you know, what, why aren't we doing better by children in Indiana? Uh, and then um, the, the government, which this task force was out of the governor's office, out of the administration, I should say. And they saw that we were getting really good numbers in Eddy, um, but they didn't understand why we weren't doing the same kind of work in our other areas, the school for the deaf and the outreach services program there, the Department of Ed mm-hmm. and Special Education, the early intervention program. Mm-hmm. And so one thing led to another and um, legislation was created um, to establish a new center for deaf and hard of hearing education. And uh, eventually it was determined that I um, would be the director of the center. And I spent two years in Indiana establishing that center and the whole idea around it, um, mm-hmm. that every child who is, is um, born deaf or hard of hearing or acquires a hearing loss in the state of Indiana, their information would flow through that center. They could receive services, their school district and early intervention Mm -hmm. professionals could receive services, supports and uh, help. 
and that we would no longer have children who were years behind in terms of their, their language development or their speech and language development. So it was a big, big uh, lift. And I, it's paying off. It's been several years now. I'm the Center for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Education open in 2013. And here we are in 2020. They continue to make progress. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm just really thrilled by the, the outcomes that have happened. Um, and, it, and that was a very involved process. It wasn't just work we did in the government by any stretch. It was also nonprofits like here in Indiana and um, Indiana Hands and Voices and a, a parent group. Um, and, you know, working with the School for the Deaf, working with early intervention, working with the Department of Education, working with the universities. And so that, um, had, that, that really has paid off. Did it make everything perfect? No. Did I think it would? No. Has it made things better? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I continue to hear. So I'm really proud of, of having um, done that work in my home state. You know, mm-hmm. My grandmother gave birth to 17 children. I have 76 first cousins on both wow. sides. And so my, some of my heart is definitely in Indiana. And I felt like that was a day um, when that center was established. That was a day that my grandma who had all those children and grandchildren would have been particularly proud because I had been involved in something that would change children's lives. So. Well, that's amazing. And just knowing you, you were the perfect person at the right time, perfect time to have this someone with the skill sets to bring all those different points of views and stakeholders together. I know not always, probably they didn't always agree with each other, but you were the, you had the perfect, perfect amount of skills uh, and a set of skills to, to be able to do that. And, and so you were, you were just the perfect person to do it. And so I'm glad that you were there to do that. And the state will continue to benefit from everything that you did. And, uh, oh, thank you, Todd. Well, I'm just grateful for the, that somehow from somewhere came the fortitude I didn't know I had. <laughs> <laughs> to be so involved, because like I said at the beginning of our time together, I've always loved people and, and helping people and uh, helping people help themselves. And I, I did an awful lot of what I would call administ- administrator type things, you know, mm-hmm. making sure we got the the computer at our center onto the state's IT backbone, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that the phone systems would work, making sure that we had video relay services working. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, there were so many things that I had to do. But I still at the at the end of the day, I'm really I'm grateful for every opportunity I've ever had, really, um, to to do what I can do. You know, some have been more successful than others in terms of what, what my impact has been, but I I, I, it's been a very exciting career so far. So, well, let's talk. Let's we can start to wrap up. I know you have a, another appointment coming up. Um, so you went from Indiana back to AG Bell in a in a sense. I know you've been uh, uh, tele working <laughs> telecommuting uh, yeah. from from your home, but. Uh, what do you see yourself in the next few years and, and how um, do you see AG Bell continuing to evolve? Uh, I'm certainly seeing great amount of work being done um, across the board. And it was so nice to be in Madrid with, with you and everyone else for the international uh, conference that was there and to be a part of that. 
Um, and I and I hope AG Bill will continue to not only do stuff on a national level, but you know, continue to do those international things too. That's that's thanks, Todd. That's for sure our plan. Um, I think what I would say. I mean, I I came back to AG Bell primarily because AG Bell is really a home for me. Mm-hmm. Not the only home I have, but professionally, I I felt right and I felt good. And I felt like I was making a difference when I was back at AG Bell working with you. And I wanted mm-hmm. to have that same experience again. I, I love the work and that we've, we are all doing around listening to spoken language, love helping families, children, professionals, you know, find their way. Um, but as far as AG Bell goes, I think we'll continue to do what we are gaining more and more clarity around doing. And that is you know, holding the torch up for mm-hmm. listening and spoken language and then protecting it for children right. and families. I mean, that to me is the number one most important thing. The number one and two, holding it up to saying, look, what's possible? This is possible. Mm-hmm. And then two, protecting that option so that families um, have it. And we do that through our certification program um, and also through um, you know, some of our awareness and the promotion we do around listening to spoken language. But I, again, Around the world, you know, there are children in English speaking countries um, who have access, whether it's to direct services, face to face services, or whether it's through teletherapy. And we still have so many places that are untouched um, when Mm -hmm. it comes to hearing and hearing well and then learning to listen and talk. So um, I think we will um, continue to try to help others. Um, set up programs and so that they can make a difference where they are so that this option of learning to listen and talk, communicate, thrive, live the life you want to live, you know, is a, is an end result for more and more children and their families. That's what I see us doing. Excellent. Well, Gayla, I know it's, you have uh, other important things to get to. I really appreciate your time today on the podcast and, and best of luck with everything you do. I know you're going to do great. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. It's just been terrific to spend this time with you. And so, if you're passionate about what we're doing with this podcast, please consider being a patron. Go over to patreon.com, find the Listening Brain podcast, and select a level that suits you. We also have some great incentives that you get when you sign up. So please think about it, and we really appreciate any support you can give. This podcast has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network, and thank you, as always, for listening. (music) 